Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me, as always, is the guy I would want to perform a ritual in a haunted chapel with, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? You know what, Andy? I've been better. I just watched (laughs) The Watcher in the Woods, and um, I'm I'm not at my best. (laughs) Well, we've got a trilogy of films we're doing for Halloween this year, escalating in their level of spookiness. Uh, We've covered Escape to Witch Mountain and The Nightmare Before Christmas, but we've had a lot of requests for the cult classic we're covering today. So from 1980, The Watcher in the Woods with Betty Davis, Lynn Holly Johnson, and Kyle Richards. Yes. And, you know, this is usually the place where we ask our guests or we ask each other, why did we choose to do this movie? But Andy and I didn't choose this. You chose this. This was our (laughs) most requested movie. And there are some of you listening who are like, why did you make me watch this? And we're with you. We're with you on this. I'm going to turn our audience against each other, but I don't want the fingers pointed at us, Andy. This is not our fault. No. And I want to say on the outset, like finding this movie can be difficult. It was on Disney Plus for a time. It's currently streaming on Netflix, but it hops around a lot in streaming. Um, So your best bet, and I think think it's worth your money, uh, maybe your $14.99, is to procure the DVD... Uh, for hours of, of entertainment, you can watch it again and again. Plus, there's a must-see original ending, which I believe makes this movie. So Counterpoint. <laughs> Never watch it. <laughs> you should absolutely watch the original ending. All right. Key facts to set the stage. Uh, the details surrounding this movie are somewhat sketchy, but I will do my best. Uh, there's a lot of internet lore I had to sift through, and I'm not sure what, quite what's true and what's not, but these are the facts as I believe them to be true. Uh, the movie's based on Florence Engel Randall's mystery novel, A Watcher in the Woods, which was published in 1976. Now, if you're old enough to remember book fairs at school, and I certainly am, uh, Scholastic Book Services reprinted this book in 1980 with the new Disney title, which is why I think a lot of people who are kind of Gen X like this movie because they probably got the book at a book fair when they were kids. Uh, According to Internet Lore, the movie was rushed out of production in celebration of Betty Davis's 50 year, 50th year of Hollywood movie making. And given the timeline with Davis's first movie, Bad Sister, in 1931, this might actually be true. What might not be true is a secondhand claim that effects shot for these other world sequences were not completed because of this rush to screen. I'm not sure that's exactly true, but the claim was made, so who knows. Now, while Betty Davis plays a supporting role in this movie, figure skater Lynn Holly Johnson was cast as the lead of Jan. And two years prior to Watcher's release, Lynn Holly was in Ice Castles with Robbie Benson. And this is a movie that really resonated with the same audience as Disney was trying to attract with Watcher in the Woods, a kind of an older teen, uh, young adult audience. So maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. We'll see what we think as we go. Maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. I love the ambiguity there. I have a clear answer. But let's move into let's move into the Manishtana. So we're talking whenever we start talking about a movie, we talk about the point of attack. We talk about the moment, why the movie begins, where it begins. And I don't necessarily know that this is a difficult one to 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 pinpoint the point of attack. Why do we start the movie where we start the movie? 
Uh, Andy, you want to tackle this or should I just? Well, I mean, the, the Curtis family moves to a creepy old house, right? I mean, I think that's the what happens and they it's their first uh, launch into this world. Yeah, I mean that I mean that's it. That the reason we're starting now is prior to this moment, it was an empty house with Betty Davis living next door to it. Um, or if we followed the family earlier, there's no story. They're just a boring family who has not been haunted. So there's no there's no real reason to start sooner. Uh, the one point I would make out about the Manish Tana is it actually begins before they arrive at the house. It has them driving through the woods. It has it has some weird shots of the forest, which I think we later learn our first person perspectives. Uh, arguably, were put in the point of view of the watcher in the woods. Uh, at the beginning of this. But but there is a long sequence of driving to the house and then parking. Right, which uh, is not uncommon for early, for movies uh, from this time period because, you know, everybody has to settle into their seats, get their popcorn, etc. You know, that's kind of how, how credit movies... sequences were done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I but think I, that that's kind of normative. But I do, I do think it's worth pointing out, they put us in the perspective of the watcher in the woods for that for that shot. Right. Like there's the shot of them approaching and we're in the woods. We turn our heads as if we're the watcher uh, following the car going in. Uh, and they'll occasionally return to that conceit again and again, letting us know there's something in the, something in the woods. If we didn't get it from the title, uh, we get it from the way they use the camera. For the sure. For the sure. And it does have this voyeuristic kind of feel to it. I mean, the creepiness kind of starts in that in that way so we start off they drive to the house they walk around the house uh they they learn you know they learn that there's the woman next door who wants the right sort of person to live in this house uh where would you say this movie reaches its inciting incident mm. all of that is exposition sure. what's the point that triggers the rest of this movie Man, I, I'm going to have to say it's when uh, Jan looks in the mirror, The Jan is the protagonist, uh, looks in the mirror and she doesn't see her reflection. And then there's all of, or, or maybe it's when the uh, the window gets, you know, broken. Uh, some Something that we know that isn't quite right. Um, I mean, I... I don't know. It, it's kind of hard not, to tell. No, 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 Andy, you're, you're right to find this hard. Like, like I am baffled as to what the inciting incident <laughs> of this movie is. Yeah. I guess we could, because because you're right, the ghost starts doing stuff. But from our perspective, why does the ghost start doing stuff? Well, right. it starts doing stuff because Jan is there. But that's not an incident, right? That's yeah, not an event like... that it's, it's almost as if the inciting incident is the family moves into the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Miss Betty Davis approves of them moving into the house, and they move into the house, and that's the inciting incident. But it, this is one of the rare instances where I'm like, I missed it. Right. I was so, waiting for something, and then later on, I was like, oh, I guess the inciting incident already happened, and I missed it. Right. So when Betty Davis, I mean, this is a point too. When Betty Davis says, "Oh, okay, you're the right sort of people." Um, it would almost be better if, like, Betty Davis didn't have a choice in this. 
Like if she sure. if she weren't the landlord I, and and really resented them being there, I think that would be better. She's just the neighbor who resents them, um, as opposed to giving her you know permission for them to be there. Because again, there that would be some tension. I think that's probably missing. But the oh okay, you're fine um, is weird. <laughs> The other, the other thing, you know, there are these parents that are in this scene. So I think it's going to be their story for quite a long time. And then this thing happens with Jan and the, you know, Jan sees the thing in the woods. And then Jan uh, cuts herself on the window. And then Jan can't see herself in the mirror. So there are all of these things that happen. So then we sort of shift protagonists into Jan and then mom and dad just get in the car. I mean, I think their job from then on out is to get in the car and just drive away. So which that the leads kids me are to, left to my point, which yeah. is I think this movie is better without the parents. Mm. It's a, it's a, it starts us off with a happy family moving into a house where they're going to pay low rent. Mm-hmm. But what if the movie began? Um, look, Disney has never been shy about killing off the parents in its animated right. movies. Now uh, that we're in horror, we need to keep the family intact. Mm-hmm. Forget about it. Mm-hmm. The, um, Jan and Ellie's parents died. They have been put into foster care. Betty Davis is the person who is fostering them, which forces them. They have no agency in this choice. Mm-hmm. They are forced into this spooky house with this woman who seems spooky. And that's the premise. The inciting incident, therefore, would be they were orphaned. Right, and forced, right. It, like it changed the trajectory of their lives and forced them into this world of horror. Because and, in this, because as this is, there's no force being there other than oh, we signed a lease, which you know leases get broken or whatever. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a better movie without them. This is not about their performances. This is about their story function. Mom and dad are. It is better if they're gone, because right. then then you have. The entire movie, like, you could just keep thinking, why doesn't Jan and Ellie have a conversation with mom and dad, a real one that doesn't seem hysterical? Yeah. Because, cause like, a couple of times, like, right after she's been haunted, she'll have a freak out in front of them. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean your parents take it seriously. Right. But why not have a real conversation with them about, I'm really upset being here. I'm really scared being here. I don't feel safe here. Sure. And, and they never have that conversation. Re- not really. No, no. They never really talk about that it, that it creeps them out or anything. They don't really share any of that with their mom and dad. No. Uh, o- only immediately in the aftermath of something scary happening. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So so rising action is all the stuff that happens in the movie between here and the climax. So I'm going to say the adopting of the dog is is rising action. Uh, the, the trip to the pond where Jan almost drowns. Is rising action. Which is uh, by far the creepiest scene in this movie. It's the best scene in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Best yeah. scene in the movie. Uh, meeting meeting Mike and Jan starting to date Mike uh, is rising action. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the ongoing sense of being haunted uh, is rising action, too. Right. When does this movie reach its climax? I mean, I'm going to have to say it's the second seance, right? Is it a seance that's going on there or ritual? some sort of ritual? They're I'm not, not really, They're not it's real clear. Weird because, <laughs> because as far as seances go, like or rituals go, they're not trying to contact another world. The, the ritual that they're performing is let's be friends. 
They're holding right. hands and saying, like, be brave, we'll be friends forever. Right. It, it is not the sort of thing where you go like, oh, they've transgressed. They're holding hands in a circle and going like, and saying, let's be friends in a spooky tone of voice. I'll, I'll grant you. Right. But, and, uh, and so in that way, like, this movie is full of these tropes, like, almost a scary, like, scary movie kind of way. Like, right, where you see things from, like, The Exorcist, or you see things like a seance, right? That, yes. like, an adult... Like, if you had any experience with horror at all, you would be like, oh, they're conjuring someone from the dead. But then they back off of that, right? Or, oh, they're going to drown her in the water. But then they back off of that. So, or, oh, this is going, this thing's going to happen. Um, But then they kind of back off of it before it gets super scary in a, it's just, it's just so odd. Like that, that part of it's kind of jarring because you're like, okay, what's going on? And just leaves you sort of confused. Like why, why would there be a friendship ritual and then all during a, a I guess an eclipse, right? And then all of a sudden there's this, you know, thing that happens and she's transported to another world. Why would that happen during a friendship ritual? All right, so I want to stick a pin in this for two seconds, but maybe we pull it out right after, because I want to finish up plot structure, but maybe we go into horror conventions right afterwards. Yeah, yeah, I think that's Um, important. So we have this climax where Jan performs the ritual surrounded by the people who perform the ritual. Listener, if you haven't watched this movie, brief recap. Uh, Spoilers. Here there be spoilers, okay? Uh, What happened was 20 years ago, some teens went out into the woods, they went to a church, and they performed like this initiation ceremony into their secret friendship circle. Uh, A young woman was blindfolded, she stood on the altar of an abandoned church, the other three teens held hands around her, saying spooky stuff, but basically pledging friendship, an eternal friendship. Um, Stuff went wrong. She was transported to another dimension, which is why she appears as a joke. She's out of a joke as a ghost. She's out of phase with the rest of reality. And the whole movie is our main character, Jan, uh, figuring out what happened and then getting those three now adults to finish the ritual and try to bring back Karen, the girl who went missing. Right. Uh, I, I have there. I saved you 90 minutes. But. <laughs> but. They perform the ritual for a second time. They get Karen back, and then the movie just ends. Karen doesn't speak. Right. Uh, She doesn't explain where she's been, what she's experienced. She does seem to have physically aged over the course of those 20 years, which is, like, I I expected her to come back and not have aged today. Right. But no, like, I I guess she, she... spent 20 years in another dimension, and that just stinks for her. Uh, (laughs) Not getting those back. She's still in the Uh, same clothes, which, I I don't know. I don't know. But but it is what it is. (laughs) And then the movie just ends. We don't debrief. The credits just roll. Right. That's it. Uh, Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's tough. It's a tough, like, it's not a very satisfying ending, is it? No. No, it's not. So can we talk about horror conventions now? I would absolutely. That was one thing I was going to talk with you about. Um, I think, you know, we have such few opportunities to talk about the horror genre on this podcast because we talk about Disney movies. But um, there are ways and conventions in which horror movies are supposed to work. And I'm wondering if you might speak to that just a little bit. I would love to. 
So the first thing I want to talk about is, in a horror movie, when we're talking inciting incident, the inciting incident is usually the transgression. And when I talk about the transgression, our protagonist, either knowingly or unknowingly, breaks a rule that invites the supernatural forces, the forces of darkness, to play with them. So if we're talking about The Exorcist, which I think you mentioned a little bit earlier, mm -hmm. uh, it's when the little girl, we, he we don't see it, but we hear her say, oh, I've been playing with this Ouija board upstairs by myself. Her mom says, you're not supposed to play with a Ouija board by yourself. She says, oh, but I like to. And I talked to Captain Howdy up there, and we realize that what invites her to be possessed is she's broken a rule, even knowing she broke a rule. Mm -hmm. Friday the 13th, the, the, those movies, the rule that generally gets broken is they go to the camp where the teens mysteriously disappeared. For whatever reason, they go there. Uh, if you go to the camp, Jason's going to kill you. The movie almost always begins with like, ah, what are you afraid of? To we're all going to die because they crossed the line. Maybe they didn't believe it. They crossed the line. Right. And now, now they deserve this. In this movie, Jan doesn't transgress. She moves into a house. That's something that people do. She in no way invites this upon her. And granted, haunted house movie, right? But, but usually there's something about what you've done that you have to correct. Mm. And she hasn't done anything. I mean, other, the, than, other than look like Karen and move into this house, right? Um, right. And generally speaking, when that happens, you sort of get a sense that that person is the reincarnation of, of the right. original character. And like there's some sort of like past life debt. And so maybe something, a transgression they made in a previous life being paid off here. Mm -hmm. But she just happens to look like Karen. There is no sort of connection in that way. At mm. one point I was thinking, oh, she must be the reincarnation of Karen. See, I thought, th I thought that too. Um, and I also thought like the seance that happened um, with some sort of a transgression. In the very best horror movies, what's happening is a metaphor for something else. Very often, the horror movies uh, in this kind of trope are a metaphor, you know, when you have the, the young teenage ingenue, uh, very often the metaphor is men are dangerous, you're becoming a woman, which means that you're becoming a, a target, you're coming into your sexuality, which means you leave innocence behind. Those those things tend to be present in this in this kind of movie. There is nothing about Jan as a person, or Jan's life, or Jan's age. There's no metaphor for, for right. coming into womanhood here. Well, no and, unless she's unless she's dating this Mike guy, right? Which is the son of one of these people who participated in the seance. I mean, but, but so, this, so, that's a reach. I mean, I, I think we need it to be more explicit. Like, right? Yes. Well, and even then, that's not the inciting incident because she, she's haunted before she meets Mike. Right. There's a world in which, you know, maybe if Karen had died a little younger and Mike was her first boyfriend. Right. And now Jan is dating her, her living boyfriend. Right. And now the ghost is jealous that you could be like, oh, this is a about something this is it's a supernatural entity but it's about the human experience in some way right right and this is not about a human experience it just isn't no it's just it's just sometimes people get knocked into another dimension and then they start haunting people who look like them 
And we don't really know why, but here we are, right? Um, and we will never know. Because yeah, the movie I, will not explain it. And, you know, there's this false villain part of it, too, in this movie, where we're led to believe that, you know, Betty Davis is the villain and that these townspeople are complicit, when in actuality, they're sort of victims in this story, right? Everyone's been, a victim they, in yeah, the Yeah, they've been held hostage by this watcher and this thing that they did that was so bad, the seance was so bad, that this... Uh, you know, that this caused this problem and they never found her body and they never found any of it. But it just seems so odd. Even the Watcher Watcher itself is a victim. Right. It didn't want to cross over. It was forced to cross over by this weirdo friendship ritual. Right. And that brings me to my other point, which is, as the audience, we are doing work to figure out what was happening. And I bet, I don't know about you, but my answer went with, oh, those other three teens murdered that girl. Yes, absolutely. And that's why she's still in the woods. And that's why she's vengeful. Yes. And, and they, need to, they need to pay for their crime or, or do some serious atonement or what have you. Uh, and then it means something. But the answer they give us is so much less satisfying than what we come up with when we're watching it. You have to beat your audience's expectations. If you can't beat them, then you match them. Right, because the audience is always always ahead of you, right? Right. You can't be like, do you know what you were thinking was happening here? (laughs) It was actually way more mild than that. Happy Halloween, everybody. It it doesn't (laughs) work that way. You either meet the expectation of the audience or you surpass it. You one-up them. You don't be like, ah, they're going to think it's a murder. I'm going to tell you, it wasn't a murder. Someone stepped through a portal. Right. So, see, the other thing about this movie is the repetitiveness of the scenes. Um, Oh, Lord. We see this, you know, she cuts. I mean, it does escalate somewhat. Like, each event does escalate. So, we're like, oh, crap. Why is this happening? Oh, no. Why is this? Oh, no. It's even, you know. So, we go from the window to the mirror to the, you know. So, things are escalating but they're not really, I don't want to say this, like scenes need to drive scenes, right? Yes. So what happened in the last scene needs to drive the story in the next scene. And with Watcher, that doesn't always happen. Um, um, I yelled at the movie. <laughs> I, while I was watching the movie, I yelled at the movie and, and, uh... and my youngest started laughing because I started yelling, <laughs> you have said this already, you have done this already. That she, she's like, what's happening? I'm like, what's happening? You've said it 15 <laughs> times. There's a ghost in the mirror. You've seen it several right, times. Right. There's a you at some point you have to stop looking in mirrors because I am not with you when you keep being surprised. She walks into a literal hall of mirrors at the funhouse and she has the audacity to be surprised that the ghost appears when that right. ghost has appeared in every reflective service for the past 40 minutes. Right. I mean, there there does seem to be this amnesia. Like, oh, this is shocking. Why is this, you know, like, oh, okay, we're just going about our lives. Oh, now this is, how, it's, but it's the same thing again and again. How many times does she say to someone, I need to know what happened to Karen? And the other person says, no, I won't tell you. And like, please. And then she goes, please, you have to tell me. No, I won't tell you. And they just keep saying those lines over and over again endlessly. There are no clues being dropped. We right. are, I, as the audience member, am not getting anything from it. 
And, and normally we don't talk about acting and directing. It's out of scope. We're focused on writing. Right. But I found that Jan is constantly coming in on a 10 with every line reading. She is, she is yelling, not yelling, but loudly, desperately proclaiming every single line of dialogue. Right. And then her scene partner almost always matches her. But these scenes have no place to go because they're already at a 10. Right. right. It's like it's like if we're going to write our big fight scene and my first thing is I come in and loudly yell, where's the peanut butter and jelly? And like, well, you're disproportionately reacting to the peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> but later on, when I get to the other things, like, I can't believe you cheated on me. Like, I'm saying it in the same tone of voice as I was talking about my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Right. And like, it doesn't feel like an escalation. It's the same fight. Our, our, it's it's scenes need to build. Even just within a single scene, you need to get to that desperate point, but you don't come in at a 10 because you can't end anywhere but a 10. Right. I mean, you can't get to an 11 or a 12, right? And if she goes... Doesn't in, exist. Yeah. I mean, and even after, like, she's nearly drowned, right? Um, or is she drowned or we don't really know, which is genuinely a creepy scene. Um, her Her little sister's like, oh, she was trying to release you. Like, this is... This is, you're fine. And, and she's like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> I, I want to like, tell really, you, I, I, read, I, like, if I had that experience. I don't think I would be oh, okay. So uh, we just need to, for the person who hasn't listened. So shortly after they adopt a dog, the dog runs off into the woods. There is like a supernatural blue lightning and Jan is thrown into the, the small little pond slash lake where she gets stuck under a tree branch and can't emerge. Betty Davis arrives and it looks like she's taking a stick and pushing her down, drowning her in the lake. Right. Uh, eventually she comes to and realizes, no, she what Betty Davis wasn't trying to kill her. Betty Davis was trying to push her out from under, under the tree and bringing her to land. Actually, Betty Davis saved her life. Fine. All of that is fine. So Symbolically <sighs> though, Andy, I was looking at that scene and thinking, is this a baptism? Is this some sort of purification ritual mm -hmm. that's the first step to whatever dark ritual needs to be performed? Is she being cleansed by water uh, and being reborn in that scene? Right. I mean, and you almost it, wonder if the Watcher is trying to, like, make it so that they can give Karen back. Like, right. you could, I mean, that would have been kind of amazing, actually. And I think there is a, a way you can watch this movie and get that from that, that the Watcher's actually trying to bring Jan in to create this so that I they have the opportunity. I think the Watcher is trying. I mean, that was my takeaway, Andy. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Watcher even at one point saves Jan's life. Right, right. The motorcycle thing, right? Right, right, right. There's at one point a motorcycle, like Jan is yelled at by her younger sister, come here, come here, come here. Jan runs, and mm -hmm. two minutes later, not two minutes later, two seconds later, a motorcycle crashes into the spot where Jan would have been. Jan would have died if she'd been there. And the implication is the Watcher whispered to Ellie so that Jan would go running away, and sure. thus Jan's life is saved. Yeah. I think the Watcher in the woods is benevolent. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, it's just a weird, yeah. For sure. All right. Well, let's we dig into some characters. characters. We really do. We really do. So we've been talking about Jan a little bit, and you talked about, you already mentioned her performance. Um, 
as something which, that which is... may not be her fault. No, you know, maybe it, the way she was directed to to perform could, I mean, could be a fault. direction issue. Could just be that when they had the footage, that's what the you know. I don't I don't like to demonize performers. I'm I'm not big no, on that. No, me but neither. From the finished product, those scenes don't work. Yeah, for sure. Um, she just sort of seems to be this person that's kind of nice, and they're kind of a nice family, and they, yeah, they're kind of a nice family, and they moved into this house. And then these things start happening. But but she herself is like almost the MacGuffin of the movie. Mm-hmm. She exi- She's a walking, talking plot device to bring back Karen. Right. But her personality is, I guess, kind of playful. She's a good older sister. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, we want our... She's the protagonist of the movie. You agree? Yeah. Oh, sure. Sure. But generally speaking, our protagonists in our movies need to learn something and to grow. Uh, and and I I can't tell you what Jan's flaw is. Jan's flaw is that she sees a ghost. I mean, her it's only an flaws external. Are, yeah, she does, and she doesn't know what happened to. Um, she doesn't know what happened to Karen. That's she, the only thing. But she, huh. I mean, but but there's nothing about this. Is not. It's a story with her in the lead, mm-hmm. and yet it's not a story about her. Right. It's not her journey. It's not her transition into womanhood. It's just. She's the person who happens to be there. Right. And it, it horror movies need to be intensely personal for your protagonist. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're dealing with external demons that represent symbolically their internal demons. Right, right. And it's just not there. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my takeaway from Jan is she's boring. She's bland. Yeah, I mean, you really want her to, like, maybe she didn't want to move, or maybe she had always wanted to live in a house like this, or maybe she had always... We don't know what she wants from the outset, and that is Give her kind a of bad a, attitude. Yeah, give her, or give her a great attitude. Give her an attitude, give her an attitude. Give her know? the freaky Friday relationship with her mother. Yeah, Where yeah. she and her mother are at odds, and that in some way replicates the relationship between Betty Davis and and her daughter, Karen, right. and like as they're healing the supernatural relationship, they're healing their own family dynamic, and then you've really got something. Right, right. But this family is perfect. Yeah. They're perfect. Yeah. I mean, there's no room for this family to really grow. They arrive intact and everything's fine. Yeah. There's, there are no flaws, right? No, it's just they have lousy ideas about what properties to rent. <laughs> Ah, okay. And I bet they do learn that lesson. I bet they do. So Mrs. Allywood? Is it Allywood? Allywood? I I thought, I I, I don't know. Okay, it's Betty Davis' Davis character, right. So um, it's, uh, what do do we think? (laughs) Best performance of the movie. Oh, sure. And why Um, not? So, I mean, so she's set up visually Mm -hmm. to, to be the witch, to be the crone. Um, we're, we're initially meant to think that she's the villain of the piece. That in right. some oh, way... sure. In some way, she is planning something sinister involving Jan. Uh, I kept thinking, oh, her plan is to, to have Jan get possessed by the ghost of Karen, and that will bring her daughter back. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there were a bunch of... She, I, she's doing some really interesting work in this movie, and yet, when it comes down to it, it's unclear that she's got any clue why she's doing what she's doing. At times, she seems to, she speaks directly to the watcher in the woods and says, 
I, I brought her here. Are you happy now? Right. But, but what is her... I, I am never clear what her goal is, what she's trying to achieve, how much control she has over her own actions. Uh, she's ultimately revealed to be a bereaved mother who lost her daughter tragically 20 years ago. Right. I, yeah, I mean, she seems like this, you know, mean old mean old woman that lives next door. Um, but there's a... Gosh, it just seems like there's a missed opportunity here. And again, that kind of when she when she's interacts directly with the watcher, as you mentioned, that's where I thought, okay, she's in cahoots with this watcher. There's sure. something that this woman she needs to she needs Jan to do in order to make this happen. But then she sort of drops out and doesn't really like tell her what to do or give her a mission. Or set her on, yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing like that. It just sort of, sort of happenstance from that. From at that times, point. at times, like she knows stuff, and at other times, she doesn't. Right. She pulls out the music box because she believes that will allow, and correctly, she she believes that it will allow Ellie to communicate with Karen in some way, shape, or form. How she knows that? How she's trained we have to no do that? Idea. Um, and yet, she doesn't really have a plan she doesn't even seem to realize that the timing is significant that this eclipse is happening again um that we're left to fill this is the problem with this movie is that we're left to fill in the details right the burden is being put on you and me to make this movie work and understand it when i don't really believe that in the writing of it they understood what they were doing right i mean in that way it's almost this after school specially kind of thing you know yes. like where where we don't really know what happened but in the next scene we get a bunch of exposition about maybe what happened sort of uh and and then the, everybody forgets what happened and we do it all over again um but yeah i think uh I'm going to say this, and it might offend some of our people who really wanted us to do this movie, but I think this is such a waste of Betty Davis's talent. Like, she's really good, and I really wish she had had more, more to do in this movie than just sitting in her house. A 50-year celebration of her acting career ending <laughs> in this? Actually, she she went on for another nine years. But no, no, but I mean, yeah, you, you, yeah, they marketed sure. this. This is the fiftieth year celebration. This is the movie we're going to bring out as <laughs> as year fifty. <laughs> and we could do all of. We could re-release all about Eve. We could re-release whatever happened to Baby Jane, right? But there's. I don't this... think they understand the word celebration. <laughs> uh, maybe not. All right, so Ellie, let's talk about Ellie Curtis. Um, I think Ellie gives a good performance. I do too. Um, and interestingly, she is the sister of Tia, like real life sister of Tia. In oh, from uh, Escape to Witch Mountain. From Escape to Witch Mountain, and you can totally see it. Like if you, and also Kyle Richards uh, ends up on uh, Real Housewives, I think. So. Oh, I, I, I'll, I'll <laughs> believe you if you tell me that. I wouldn't know. I've never seen. I've never seen those. Uh, that's, sure. that's our we, other podcast we're, we're that we do. We're too busy watching Disney to watch Once reality upon a real housewife. <laughs> um, but but uh, that being said, uh, I, I think she believably plays a kid. I uh -huh. think she's precocious in the right ways. Uh -huh. She gives attitude to her old... She's really playing a younger sister relationship. I believe that she's got this older sister that she half hero worships and half wants to torment. Uh -huh. um, but that clearly she adores. 
Uh, and, and don't you think, I feel, well, I mean, I feel like Ellie is a far more interesting character than Jan. Ellie's life should be in the balance here. If right. you really want to yes. motivate Jan, yes. Ellie needs to disappear in the woods for a stretch of time. And Jan has to go into the woods looking for Ellie and fighting whatever is in the woods because she needs to save her sister. And then she's got a strong, compelling protagonist reason to, to uncover this mystery. Which, which we have that moment. We do have that moment when Ellie goes into the woods chasing Narek the dog, right? And Five Jan's seconds. like, "Where? yeah, but it's not enough. And it needs then to it be stops. the whole movie. Yes, it needs to be the entire movie. Or Ellie, or van- or Ellie vanishes. And Ellie gets sucked into this vortex. Or something. And now we got to get them both back. We got to get them both back. That's right. That's uh, right. Or do The Exorcist. They play with it a little bit. There's one bit where Ellie, like, her voice changes because she seems to be possessed by the Watcher in the Woods or right, Karen. Right. I wasn't clear who she was possessed by. But make the whole movie. I notice my little sister is becoming the thing, mm-hmm. is being taken over by something. My parents don't see it, but I see it. I'm the only one who can stop it. Make Ellie the stakes. Alternatively, make Ellie the main character mm-hmm. and do the opposite with Jan. And then right. you're doing a metaphor for my older sister who just became a teenager is now a monster. We used to be so close, and now I don't understand her at all. <laughs> right, right, right. And that's a real human thing that could sure. be a metaphor for a horror movie. Yeah, for sure. All right, I'm going to say I'm going to make an executive decision and say that the parents are extraneous characters that we really don't need to talk about. Unnecessary, <laughs> not really characters. They exist. They're functional. Move on. I'm Move with you. on. All right. What about the love interest, Mike? I thought he was cute. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like he's got like sort of like in an '80s kind of boy next door sort of sort of charm to him. He seems yeah. to be into her. Uh, I mean. I mean, the thing that I don't like about him is he's into a boring girl because she's pretty. <laughs> yep. I mean, and he ignores is. the one thing that's interesting about her, which is she keeps talking about being haunted. Right. And he kind of keeps blowing it off, doesn't he? He's kind of protective of her. I liked the scenes where they were being flirty at the amusement park. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Because I, I, Here's the thing you don't know about me, listener. I like teen romance. Sure. I I like that cutesy hand-holding, arm-around-the-shoulder sort of stuff. I'm a mush for that. And if they wanted to do more of that, that would be fine. That being said, he doesn't do much in this movie. Yeah, except for get information for her about his mom, who yeah. is a part of this uh, triangle. So what do we think about this? This Tom Colley... Uh, Mike's mom and the other guy, the hermit guy, John Keller. John Keller. John Keller. Tom Colley. Mary Fleming. There we go. Right. So they're the ones uh, that got us into this pickle, um, and now they're adults. They're awful. <laughs> uh, I mean, so clearly, tell me what supposed- you really think about this, Larry, because I really don't know. I mean, please be clear. So the idea here is, I think that not the only. Karen was the victim of this friendship ritual, but also this friendship ritual has destroyed their lives. Right. Uh, we, we get the implication that Tom Colley, not even implication, it's outright said he's, he's an alcoholic now, mm-hmm. and he's been drinking to try to forget what happened all those years ago. Uh, Mary has lived in fear that her role in the disappearance of Karen 
would would come back. Also, she's aware that being in the woods itself, she's haunted. She's being compelled to do something, so she avoids it mm-hmm. at all sides. And and um, John Keller, who might as well be wearing a shirt, ask me about the girl I murdered, uh, <laughs> is is is. I mean, am I wrong, Andy? I, he comes in. He's, he comes in like it's. It's very much. He's like, please, sir, you have to tell me what happened to Karen. And he's like, I won't talk about that girl I murdered. Um, but <laughs> right. like, he comes in so hostile. Like, play it cool, dude. Be like, oh, I was so upset when she disappeared. She was a good friend of mine. Give me levels. Uh, but clear, actually, actually, it's a mask. He didn't kill her. He didn't right. kill her. He's just. He's angry at himself, and so he's angry at the world. So they're all sort of like having a different trauma reaction to this event that occurred. That being said, um, what like they don't take responsibility for what they've done. They've kept it a secret. They know that they know that um, Karen's mom has been suffering right. for this entire time. I I don't particularly like them, and the one who makes me the maddest. Of the three of them mm-hmm. is Mary, who arguably is the nicest of the three of them. Right. But they go to do this friendship ritual again. And it is said literally 45 times. What we did wrong when we did the <laughs> friendship ritual, Mary, is you broke the friendship circle and you ran away. And that's what caused this interdimensional rift. Whatever happens, we do not break the friendship circle. They start doing the ritual. Ten seconds in, she's like, I don't want to be here anymore. And she breaks the friendship circle and starts running again. She has not learned learned anything. anything. Right. Right. She's just going to reenact what happened. Yeah. I don't understand this friendship circle. They make a big point. It can never be broken. Mm -hmm. But actually the way that they solve the problem is, and Mike, her son, is kind of like, I'm going to break that friendship circle if it looks like <laughs> Jan is in trouble. It looks like Jan is in trouble. He tries a couple of times to break the friendship circle. Then he succeeds, but I guess it was the right thing to do because that's, I, I don't right. know. Right, I mean, none of, I, yeah, like it almost seems to be this cautionary tale against like seances. Going to movies without or- reading a review first? Yes, it is a cautionary tale. <laughs> In that way. No. A cautionary tale against, like, seances or, or looking into the other world. I know in the late 70s and 80s, there was this sort of push um, in uh, in some circles that, that that was a really awful thing to do. And there was Satan was behind every corner and sure. and, uh, and that kind of thing. But I, I kind of got that sense from this movie, but I don't... But they backed away from it. They do. Because clearly like, the yeah, ritual again, they like, should have been doing is exactly what you described. Yeah. They like, should lean, have been trying in. to pierce the veil. Yes. Yeah, but they don't. Like, it, it's but not even a not. seance. It's a, it's a friendship circle, right? Or it's this. Or it's 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 like, um, this is like, uh, uh, you know, uh, contacting the other world light. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, they weren't even trying to contact the other world. It was just like, it was a test of, like, can can you stand in this abandoned church without being scared? Right, exactly. And then this awful thing happens because you were so. Oh yeah. Okay. We need yeah, to move. That, okay. So movie, and, and speaking I mean, of Karen, like the- like Karen, we see her in reflections. We see her, but do you get the sense that like Karen can actually come back? That there's a way for Karen to come back, 
Or is Car- or do you get the feeling that Karen's the watcher in the woods? No, Karen's not the watcher in the woods. But like during um, the movie, like as you're watching it, do you see I them as two separate entities? I, I watch maybe a little more horror than you do. Okay, um, true. Because I'm married to the person that I'm married to. <laughs> uh, but, but I immediately thought, oh, you know, she's on the other side of the mirror, which for me usually means you're in another dimension you're, or you're out of phase with reality. Uh, I kept waiting for the moment where Jan would reach into the mirror and the hand would come out or Jan's hand would go in. Uh-huh. But but uh, what my, my sense of Karen, I mean, she's constantly mouthing, help me, help me, help me. She right. didn't seem to be the monster to me. Right. She seemed to be trapped in, a, in another realm, which is exactly what she is. Right. And I never, but I never really got like that. There was another force keeping her there. It was just almost like it was. It felt accidental, like she was in there and she could do things to make people be aware that she was there. I didn't sense that there were two separate. That there was a no, watcher it's, it's and then there was Karen. So there's a difference between you know, I mean, not to get hardcore nerdy, but what what, <laughs> what else do we do? Um, you know, there's a difference between a ghostly presence and a demonic presence, right? Right. And right. the ghostly presence is usually impotent, right? right? Right. Like like it can do the it can whisper a word into your ear. It can blow out a candle. It can cause like a little bit of electrical disturbance with your TV. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I ain't afraid of no ghost. As right. the movie says, right. But demonic uh, possession is uh, demonic presence. Generally, is a little more intrusive. Your life starts to be put in danger. Uh-huh. Things are trying to hurt you. Things are trying to be like like cut you and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. And there is the breaking of glass, but I don't really feel like anyone is trying to is trying to hurt Jan. I they're just trying to guide her. They're right. trying to set her compass and put it in the... It feels more like a guided haunting than it really does that they're trying to scare her away. Well, let's they're not talk, spooking her. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the Watcher in the Woods then. Um, who is the Watcher in the Woods? Why is the Watcher in the Woods? <laughs> um, so the Watcher in the Woods, what, what we learn, what we learn is that the Watcher in the Woods is an extra-dimensional being who switched places with Karen. And just like Karen is trapped on our dimension while Karen is trapped in his dimension, we got some sort of physics thing happening with energy mm-hmm. and mass. But uh, that's what the Watcher in the Woods is. Right. Uh, but as a character, I don't know. Like, wants to go home. Yeah, it's, I mean, like, I, it's like Dorothy and Oz, right? I, I mean, I mean, but it, it's, it's, it's... It, we we project onto it. It's the unknown, right? I but mean, the, the two watch- the two. So we have the watcher and we have Karen. They need to switch back. The only way to get do that is to recreate this friendship circle, and at at the eclipse at the exact same time, and then the switch will be made. Yes. There it is, right? Yes. Uh, but but that being said, that being said, um, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say about the Watcher in the Woods. Well, right? if you if you watch the alternate ending, I actually yes. Think well, we, maybe we should talk about that I think now because the alternate ending answers some questions at the cost of raising <laughs> way more questions. <laughs> what do you have to say so, about the alternate? You were the one who found it. Yeah, I was not. I was not in the mood for another thirteen <laughs> minutes, but you brought me back in. 
I did. So on the DVD, and actually the original ending to this movie as it was released, uh, there is an alien uh, who comes into the, as the circle's happening, there's an alien that comes in. Uh, the alien then takes uh, uh, Jan to another dimension and then releases Karen. Correct. And like, like does a swap, sort of, except for Jan's back at the end of it. And it's a different, it's a different Karen also, but... Uh, right. But we actually go to the other dimension. We actually see the Watcher in the Woods, which we never saw in the original. Right. Um, and and it's freaky looking. They spent a lot of money on this footage that they ended up not using. Yeah. So in 1978, the movie Alien comes out, and this movie has a very similar looking alien, uh, except for it almost has a Star Wars sort of... Uh, a stormtrooper type face if that stormtrooper's helmet was black um it's it's very it's got strange wings like a gargoyle or yeah, a vulture like it's a whole it lot of things mixed together it definitely looks malevolent yes it isn't though no it's just scary looking it's just scary looking and so and it, and it, and it was it was very much a what is happening to this movie? <laughs> but 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 it, it is fantastic, and you should. It have is better it. than what we were given. Because it is you, that thing I said earlier about you at least have to like exceed our expectations. Yeah, it definitely was past what I thought I was going to see in this movie. <laughs> definitely did not see that ending coming. It wasn't less than what I thought was happening. It was definitely more. Yeah, and in that way, it's sort of the ending of Escape to Witch Mountain. I mean, it's very similar um, in that all of a sudden these kids are going to be whisked away by this, oh, here comes the spaceship? What? Yeah. Um, and so, like, it kind of has this, uh, has that same kind of jarring uh, effect, I think, uh, in that way. And, I mean, these two movies are both directed by uh, John Huff, so... I mean, maybe he liked that kind of ending. I don't know. I, 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 he must have. He must he, have. He must have liked it. Well, let's talk about have. protagonist problems. Uh, and and we, I think we identified one in pre-production. I'll, I'll let you go ahead and. All right. So the protagonist uh, problem that we came at with here is this movie is not about our protagonist. Our protagonist has no skin in the game. Uh, this, there are no stakes for our protagonist. Uh, at any point, this family could move away from the house, and everything happening in this neighborhood, in these woods, officially becomes not their problem. Right, right. There's no reason to stay. It's a scary house. Right. I mean, it's a scary house. I mean, and and really, they just stay because the rent's cheap and satisfying curiosity isn't. I mean, to satisfy their curiosity about who the watcher is and what that's all about. Jan has no reason to actually solve this mystery no. other than she's got this haunting when she looks in the mirror, she sees something scary. But like, again, you're going to go to college in a year or so. Right. Leave. Yeah, I mean, Jan seems to see this ghost. Ellie seems to hear it. Um, and the parents just really seem kind of like, oh, this is fine. You're, you know, like, they don't seem to be all that invested in it. And so she's trapped there because of her mom and dad. But is she really trapped? It's just, gosh, they're just, There's, you're right, there are the, no stakes. 
You have to give your protagonist something to do. They have to want, look, so there's, in Joseph Campbell's mythology, there's always the, the, the call to action for the heroes, and sometimes the hero resists the call. Uh-huh. In Star Wars, Obi-Wan tells Luke Skywalker, I'm going to train you to be a Jedi, and Luke says, I can't leave Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. It's moisture harvesting season. He rejects it, but then once once the situation changes, he realizes he cannot resist the call to action. And from that point on, he is on board with going with the movie. Right, right. He's got reasons. He's When he wasn't motivated before, the movie then motivates him to go forward. Here, she doesn't resist the call to action. She's like, I'm just going to solve, solve this mis- disappearing girl thing. Right. And no one ever says to her, why are you trying to solve it? Oh, I'm being haunted. I mean, mm. it's, it's, it's such weak sauce. And I, I don't know how you play with that if you're the actor, right? Like, like, how do you delve into that? How do you inform it? How do you, how do you bring something to it that's real and human? Well, the fact of the matter is, if I was haunted, I'd leave. Right. I'd just leave. And you wonder why she doesn't. You wonder, like, why are you she stuck there? She doesn't even tell her mother she almost drowned. No. When, when she has that near-death experience with the motorcycle, they never debrief about it. Right. They're like, like she, she could say, look, I almost died twice. Right. There were two separate occasions in the course of three days where I've almost died. Mom, Dad, I don't think I want to live here anymore. Right. And so instead, she leans into this mystery, but we don't see her as a person who leans into mysteries ever. We right. just see her as a person who's there. If you made it. If you meet her the reincarnation of Karen and she's trying to discover something about herself, yeah, that's something. That's interesting. But there's something that, yeah, we're missing we're missing a piece. And for yeah. all the exposition in this movie, we're missing the key piece that makes her want to be on this journey. And we have to say, why this character? And the right. answer is her physical appearance. Or that she's slightly psychically sensitive. That's not enough because that's those are those are not personality traits. Right, she can see things, but just because she can see things doesn't. I mean, if I can see this and I'm like, oh, okay, this is a big mess, I'm gonna get out of here. I'm not gonna try. To, and my sister's involved. Okay, we're out. We um, also have an antagonist problem in this movie. Yes, is we have a bunch of characters who seem to be the villain of the piece that are but never the reveal really the is villain. None of them are. Yeah, not yeah. even the supernatural entity, and the the, the person who obstructs the most. Is John Keller, I would right, argue. Right. Because he doesn't want to tell her anything. Correct. But also nobody wants to tell her anything. But he he doesn't want to tell her anything in a mean voice. He's mean about not telling her anything. Mm-hmm. But of but you know, that's not really being a good antagonist. That's just not playing. That's not participating in the movie. Right. 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 That uh, he's resisting this. You know, this thing. And and again, there's an opportunity for this ticking clock that could be throughout the entire... We've, we only find out that the eclipse happens, like, right before the eclipse happens, right? Um, there could be this, uh, this... I was thinking about Back to the Future, where, you know, we know that at this time, this has to happen, right? Uh, that yeah. the, the, the car, the DeLorean has to be, you know, get hit with lightning at this particular time. Um we don't get that with this. It's almost an afterthought. And there's sort of this need for this thing to be driving. And and uh, there's only this one moment where this could happen. 
and uh, and these people are all resistant. And gosh, you know, she's got to move them. Jan has to move them to this moment. So, I mean, it really feels like the elements are here. Like the elements are all here. It's just the order and the way that they're constructed. And really the structure of this movie is is keeping it from really being an interesting movie. And I want to throw one more thing out here. When you're when you are a mysterious force, you're describing your supernatural entity and what your supernatural entity is doing. You really want to scare me. You know what verb doesn't work? Watch. There's no more passive action your supernatural entity could take right. than to be a watcher. A watcher, by definition, does not take action. The doer in the woods is scarier than the watcher <laughs> in the woods. The stalker in the woods, the right? The predator in the woods, but not the watcher. But who's watching and why? I mean, it could right. be interesting if this watcher is some sort of emissary for some deeper, darker force, right? Or something bigger, but we don't, we never really get a good, satisfying, um, understanding of what all of, of of this world right we don't yes there's a part of us that just a part of me that doesn't know how this world completely works and i'm constantly trying to figure it out and in the end i still don't quite know what happened no right no and i'm gonna be honest i don't know that i want to know <laughs> i'm not intrigued yeah, like, I'm trying to solve yeah. it because that's the task that we put in front of us right. for, for this podcast. But and I'm being a good sport, but I don't really care. I really wonder, though, if this, because of the book, I wonder if, because it was young adult kind of horror, I wonder if this book was so crazy popular that they were, that it sort of drove the um, the movies. I mean, there are lots of books like that. Um, I think Harry Potter is one of those, right? Where yes. the you have the Harry Potter series and it's so crazy popular that they're going to make a movie out of it and everybody goes to see this movie and it does really really well and and you if, but if you try to watch the movie on its own you're like wow this movie is all about exposition like the first movie of ha- the Harry Potter series is all about exposition um, this movie may be in that vein where it's like okay this is kind of what happens in these movies and here's the key moments of the book. And it, you know, everybody says, oh, books are better than movies. And this may be one of those cases. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it, I may don't know just be a, it may just be an awful adaptation, but I haven't read the book. So I really probably shouldn't speak to that. And I've never heard of it. So so how, how big could it be? I have <laughs> heard of this be. Harry Potter. Harry fellow. Potter guy. Right, 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 right. All right. Pitch time. What would we do with this material? In 2017, uh, Lifetime actually did a remake of this made for TV. Neither of I us haven't heard seen of, it. Neither of us heard about this happening, right? Uh, what would we do with this material? All right. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to throw out. It is almost a complete teardown for me. Uh, I don't, I don't care. So, so if this property came to me, I, I would read the book or I don't actually don't know what's, I don't know what's in the book. I would watch the original movie. I'd read the original screenplay and say, okay, I'm going to bring this down to its barest elements. House in the middle of nowhere, woods around, the sense that something is watching our main character. But almost certainly what I would set up is it wasn't one girl who went disappearing in the woods. 
that family after family moved into this house and young woman after young woman kept disappearing. And the reveal is going to be like the idea that the Watcher in the Woods has been getting stronger with each missing kid. Uh But no, it's not the Watcher in the Wood. It's each kid is getting trapped in the wood and there are more and more Watchers all trying to warn her away, but also they want to be free. That they're not necessarily all in agreement. Some are bringing her in, and some are trying to keep her safe, and there's this war happening in the woods between these two entities that, to our main character, she doesn't necessarily understand. I would also conceivably have her meet some of these watchers, maybe even get a romance with the dead boy. I like, I like, on undead romances if if you know both both people are are kind of cute I, I like maybe they like get make her develop a friendship with someone one of these watchers uh, a love interest some of them hate her and want to kill her one of them wants to possess her but that this is like a this is a place where stuff happens and ultimately we're going to build to this huge battle between the good watchers and the bad watchers and something and I just made this up now, Andy. So okay. I don't really have my story beats perfectly <laughs> okay. here. But but I feel like I'm pushing for something that's got a lot of action and a heck of a lot less spectating. Right. Have less watching. <laughs> More doing, less watching. I guess it's called the woods. <laughs> the woods. <laughs> I have one more pitch for you, Andy. Sure. Are you ready? Sure. Yours is Reverse better than mine. Horror dude. movie. All right. Re- Reverse horror movie. We tell the story of Karen in the other dimension. And to all of those gargoyle bat demons, she looks like a monster. And so they're all afraid of this thing in the woods. And it's her, this sweet little uh, (laughs) 16-year-old blonde girl who to them is the stuff of nightmares. We spend all our time in the other dimension being the monster trying to find our way home that's yeah see that's really interesting like how and and then you hear jan moves into this house and like jan's the ticket and so we see it from karen's point of view yeah i'd watch that movie it's something yeah it's It's something something. we're trying (laughs) oh my goodness well this was a lot of fun and thanks fans for uh picking this movie for us, I yes, think. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad you're engaged. If you do like your what you're hearing or you don't, uh, do us a favor. I want to hear your thoughts on this movie, and I know Larry does too. Um, yes, and, I do. I yeah. want you to explain yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so check out our What's Fun at Disney Facebook page. Uh, you can tweet us at, at Andy Redwine or at Larry Brenner 6 Let us know what you're thinking. Um, and if you do like what you're hearing, do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or even a classic movie fan. Larry, what are we doing next week? We are doing The Jungle Book. Ooh. What, the, uh, the original animated Jungle Book. From 1967. Uh, I, don't, I don't have the year on, on hand. But we're, we're talking, I want to be like you, ooh, ooh. That's that the one. one. Yeah, from 1967. Okay, so until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real soon. Thank you.